Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy Friday, everyone. You know what Friday means. It means another episode of the first gen hunter podcast it also hopefully means the end of your work week and i think that means you'll have some time right well who knows maybe your kid plays like 83 uh youth sports you gotta you gotta travel volleyball game in like minneapolis and you live in you know lexington kentucky good luck you know it's gonna be a rough weekend but keep your eyes peeled you might drive past some sheds And that's what we're going to talk about. For all the rest of us who are lucky enough to still have sanity in our lives, the weekend means shed hunting. I know I'm going to be hitting it hard this weekend. Um, I got a shed trip planned um, with, uh, I mean, not like anything crazy, just just for the day. But, uh, you know, anytime when you got three kids, anytime you can get away for more than a few hours shed hunting and you're not wearing one of those kids on your back, um, it's a shed trip. And uh, so I have that covered up here soon, uh, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And we got Emmett Enyer from Extreme Element Outdoors, Cat Tracks, and Shed Tags to uh, talk to us about shed hunting. And I'm so like, you get well, first of all, listeners know this is the unofficial shed hunting podcast out there. We talk sheds more than any other podcast, I guarantee it, because I'm a hopeless addict. But, um, but... This one is like kind of self-serving a little bit because when I when I saw the amount of sheds that Emmett and uh, his his uh, family it looks like um, and some of his friends are hauling out of the woods every year it's like I have got to talk to this guy he is he's on another level and so uh, we're gonna talk to Emmett for this episode. I hope you listened to the previous episode talking about how Emmett was able to buy his first farm at only 27 years old. Super inspiring. Um, If you haven't yet, go back and listen to that Pick and Bones episode. We're going to dive in deeper to who Emmett is, but we're going to start out with this question, Emmett. You got a gun to your head and you got to, you got to say, you have to be, you have to be dead honest. You got to give up one thing. Shed hunting? Oh boy. Or bow hunting. What's going? Oh. Oh, clock's ticking. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with uh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, uh right now. <laughs> right now I'm gonna have to go with I'm gonna have to go with shed hunting. But I think if you ask me in five years, I think it's gonna be bow hunting. Wow. I, I, I think every year I'm getting closer and closer to, to enjoying shed hunting more. Yeah. But if I had to give up bow hunting, that doesn't mean that'd stop me from shed hunting. That's I right. I love shed hunting. Yeah, that's that's how I feel too. <laughs> it's just the meat side of it for me is what is you know, like obviously I can't feed my family, which all the people that rag on shed hunting are gonna say, See, see, told you I can't eat sheds. You know, uh but so yes, I get it. Uh, you know, I I'll take the meat because that benefits my whole family. But it is such a close call for me as well. Like I, I when I'm in shed season, I think I like shed hunting more. When I'm in bow season, I think I like bow hunting more. 
Um, and exactly. And I think there's only a few of us like that out there. You know, there definitely are, you know, plenty more guys like that, but, but, uh, most people shed hunting is just kind of like a, yeah, if I have time, you know, it might be kind of fun, but no, there's, I go hard for it. You go hard for it. And, um, so this is going to be a good conversation, but, uh, before we, before we continue in that, that way though, we need to get to know Emmett a little bit. Um, uh, let's just start with extreme element outdoors. How long have you been, uh, been running that? Yeah, Kent. Well, first off, I want to thank you for having me on today. This is a uh, really excited to have this conversation and yeah. So for extreme element outdoors, um, I started that right when I stopped playing, uh, baseball in college. Okay. I went, basically when I went to college, I went to Grandview university in Des Moines and I went there for two years for pre-engineering. And then, um, for my last two years of college, I went to Iowa state in Ames, Iowa, uh, to finish off my engineering degree. And basically, um, when I was at Grandview, I played baseball and when I made that switch to Iowa state, I no longer was playing baseball. So I, I always loved sports. I loved competition. I loved being able to, you know, continually trying to get better at something. Mm. So when I didn't have that anymore in my life, I really needed to find something that I could translate it to. And that became, you know, basically the point in my life where hunting became a lot more serious to me. Mm. When I say hunting, I mean, I'm talking deer hunting, turkey hunting, shed hunting. Um, And that's when I started Extreme Element Outdoors. So it was about like 2017, 2016, 2017. Wow. And when I started it, it was like a social media channel. Like it was more of just like Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then as the years progressed, like more closer to like 2020, I put more focus on the YouTube channel. And so it's basically a, uh, yeah, it's a social media content channel page, whatever you like mm. to call it. Um, yeah. But just basically mm. documents all of uh, my outdoor experiences. And it's something that I look, I use um, not just to, uh, put content out there, but more of like, especially with the videos, the reason I put a lot of time into those is because I'm hoping it someday, you know, down the road, I'll be able to go back and show my kids or my grandkids, you know, here's what we did yeah. when I was your age. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. I think it'd be so cool to capture it all in video and to, to go back because sometimes, you know, the, the, uh, experiences that we have in the woods just aren't you can't capture everything right? and you can't capture the emotions you're feeling, but a video does a heck of a lot better than just a picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. I couldn't agree with you more. That was one of the, the things when I started first gen hunter back in 2020, that was one of the things I talked about all the time was like, I'm creating a audio journal for my kids, you know, and how, you know, what we wouldn't give both of us, to like have this same thing, either the YouTube side of it or the podcast side of it or the social media side of it for our grandfathers, you know, back when they're my, my uh, grandpa has these old uh, picture albums and um, he lived on this farm that I live on for 84 years. He lived here. And so like going through there and just seeing the farm from that time and, and he can kind of remember, you know, most of the details, but then some things like, you know, I can't really remember what that was about. Well, one of those pictures was he was standing around with um, like two of his buddies from high school and they just got done squirrel hunting and they're like, uh, they're, they're uh, cleaning the squirrel 
And, you know, you can see like all the 1950s clothes that kids wore back then, which they wore some pretty cool stuff. You ever hear of like uh, engineer boots? They're like uh, cowboy uh-huh. boots with like the like side, like those side buckles on it. You're like biker boots kind of looking things. And I was like, what are, what are those, Graham? He's like, oh, those are engineer boots. Everyone wanted engineer boots when I was in high school. It's just like cool to hear those details, you know, but he couldn't remember where they went hunting. He couldn't remember, you know, how many squirrels they shot that day. He didn't even remember like one of the people in the picture anymore. And, and to your point, it's like if that was in a video, not only would we know who it is, we'd hear what their voice sounded like. We'd probably hear some details about the hunt that you can't just get from looking at the picture. You know, it's like it, 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 you, you're you're spot on. You know, it's a it's a photo album that's documented on on social media, and you know we always hear about the negative side of social media. I think that's a that's a real positive side. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of negatives, but like. You know, that is, uh, you know, just like you said, that's what well, we're creating a journal. And at the end of the day, that's my goal with it. It's like, yeah. you know, oh, people are like, always like, well, how much, how much do you make on your YouTube videos? Um, and it's like, honestly, I mean, I pay attention to it, but I, it's like, that's not why I do it. Like it took me like, I've got, I think like 80 videos on YouTube right now. I don't think I started truly monetizing my videos to like video, like 60 hmm. because yeah. like, I just was like, I don't care about like I do care about making money off of YouTube, but that's not why I'm like that's not why I'm doing it, you know. Right. So right. you just kind of re- recoup I'll, recoup some of that time that way. Exactly. Translate it over to a little bit of financial, but but yeah, that's it's 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 a great reason to do that. And we I don't often I don't often hear that reason when I do these interviews. So I'm glad you brought that up. So so uh, another couple things that you got irons you have in the fire. Um, we'll kind of work uh, from oldest to newest. Uh, shed tags. That was a great idea. Did uh, heck yeah. Did, <laughs> well, I already told you this story. I think um, before we started recording, I was on the phone yesterday with my dad, and shed hunting came up in the conversation. He's like, you know, you really need to, you really need to start a. Um, documenting where you find those things and uh you need to like write you know in like a nice fine tip marker you know towards the base like where you found it what year it was that kind of thing and i was like dad there's something that uh already exists that you don't have to write on the shed and do it that is shed tags right oh boy that's right that's right and i gotta give credit to my dad um so yeah, we sell shed tags on my, my website, Extreme Element Outdoors. Basically, what they are, they're, they're a zip tie with a nameplate. And so the, that nameplate allows you to write on Sharpie. Like, you know, you could write whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for example, like what I'll write is I'll write like the year I found it, uh, the farm I found it, um, kind of a little description of where I found it, something that I know in my head. And then um, if it's a deer that I have history with or a deer that I've already named, I'll throw that on there as well. And then if also another thing that's nice about it is like if I got the set, let's say I find the set off of it, you know, I'll put one or two on on it and then also oh, two or two yeah, on the yeah. other side. So that way, like if you ever like have a really nice pile, you're not like, you, I don't know, you'll like always be able to say, oh, yeah, I found the other side. I know I, the other side somewhere. It's somewhere here in this pile. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So. No, that's it's a smart idea. Really smart idea. 
And uh, actually, I, definitely... I gotta give credit to my dad. I gotta give credit to my dad because he's the one who first started to do it. Um, he started doing it. I'm like, that's genius. So we just started doing it year in and year out. Like we weren't doing it, selling it to anybody. And actually, first couple of years I did it, I would buy these like colored zip ties mm. that didn't have a nameplate, and I would just put them around. Like for example, on <clears throat> on one farm I'd have like all black zip ties. On another farm I'd have all red zip ties. But I was like, we just got to the point that we wanted a a nameplate. Yeah. So anyways, he came up with it and then I kind of just like took off with it and said like, Hey, let's actually start selling these, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little gig. Um, I think anybody can, you know, anybody who shed hunts can find use in it. You find a lot of people there's a, it's funny because you'll see a lot of people end up making the mistake of writing like on the pedicle. Like, yeah. I, I cringe every time yep. you see like somebody have like a really big antler and all of a sudden they'll flip it over and it'll say like in chicken tra- scratch handwriting, like <sighs> 82 and it looks like yeah. a, like a second grader and like, and I, it, it bothers me and I'm not an antler collector, but you talk to the people that actually like to buy antlers that yeah. would like, it wouldn't have any, that value. gives them a heart attack. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I, I don't sell, I don't sell mine at all but um yeah it's like my kids might (laughs) you know what i mean it's like (laughs) what do i do with dad's shed pile i need to make room for my own shed pile you know and uh they might they might want to sell i got a few nice ones they might want to sell and that would definitely depreciate the antler if it's got a you know big old fat marker smudges on it so yeah shed tags solves a problem and also it gets the thing that that you were wanting to achieve, and what my dad was talking about. Um, definitely a, a, something I'm going to pick up a, a pack of, and probably need two packs, and uh, that will help me. Uh, I can when I look at, I got a lot of sheds around here, but I can, you know, it's like a good exercise in memory to ward off dementia in like 30 years for me. Um, the, you know, like I try to remember, picture, okay, where did this shed come from? Where did you know, what year was that? Who was I with? I try to think through that, but it's getting harder and harder to do that. And, uh, there's probably a few where I'd kind of be like, I don't know. And, uh, shed tags would would definitely help with that. But then most recently, um, cat tracks, you've, uh, been using that engineering degree of yours to, to engineer, to like basically flip the, the script on. Yeah on lightweight you know ultra light hang and hunt uh tree steps um can Absolutely. you talk about cat tracks a little bit heck yeah so cat tracks is a uh it's a company i just launched i've been working on it the past three years and what it is 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 it's a uh business that's predicated on producing elite hunting gear for people people that like to be mobile while hunting mm-hmm. and basically the products that i'm going to be producing are products that like best fit my style uh, of uh, for hunting and like one of the first products i really wanted to capture um was a climbing stick like a lightweight climbing stick and there's a lot out there on the market for climbing sticks but i wanted one that was really compact and was really light and basically i used to use like the old uh lone wolf three step mm-hmm. um what you know for like 20 years what were the most known lightweight uh, yep. climbing sticks but while they worked great uh, they just had some serious 
things that I was like, man, this could really be improved. This could be a lot better. And so that's where I kind of took the initiative and figured out, you know, this is, I, w- I want to make my own. I want to mm-hmm. make my own. And uh, yes, we ended up working on that. It took about three years, you know, from from idea to, to final production mm-hmm. um, through testing and everything else. But uh, we ended up producing the lightest climbing stick that's ever been made. And that's the, the Commando. Um, that's our first product that we launched. And uh, we're super excited about it. So they're available for pre-order now, and we're shipping out in August of wow. this year. So that's awesome, man! Super exciting. That is. Oh, so I was impressed when you bought the farm. Like that's that feels risky, but then when you're starting to to design, you know, something that people are going to be climbing up trees in, that had to give you like some serious heartburn. Like, pe- are people going to fall out of trees and sue me for everything I have? And and all that, like, what was that like a really big hurdle to get over that, that intimidation side of it? Yeah, it's definitely a concern. You know, it's a, uh, it, yeah, with, with anything that you're going to be using where somebody's going up a tree, that's definitely, you know, that's always in the back of your head. But at the same time, when, when you see all the calculations and you've actually used it in the field and you test them mm-hmm. to failure and you see exactly what their potential is, um, it gives you a lot, just seeing it all and actually validating everything, like not only on paper, but then validating it in person, it really starts to take that edge off. Um, but yeah, definitely like off the bat, you're like, okay, yeah, this looks cool on a, you know, a simulator, but you know, is this thing actually going to work in the field? And then you run it for in the field for two years and you leave it out over the winter and you're, and you're putting it up to 550 pounds and, I mean, wow. then you're really starting to, then you're starting to not be as anxious. Yeah, no, that's good. And I'm glad you're diving in on it. I'm glad, I'm glad there's people like Emmett out there that are willing to push through those challenges. Cause most folks, myself included, when we come up with an idea like that, the intimidation of the, the negative thoughts, like paralyzes us and we never do anything about it and so your guys like you are the ones that push the industry and get the consumer a better product in the end um what is do you mind saying how light they are yeah absolutely so um for the commando there we have them in a two-step model right now Mm -hmm. and we got them in two different lengths so the 14 inch length is about uh about 0.91 pounds which are both lighter than the what was lightest climbing stick on the market which i believe was the tethered one stick which is like 1.1 pound they say one pound but if you're getting down to the nitty-gritty it's 1.1 and we're taking you kind of broke up there saying i want to make sure i heard it right so for the 14 inch it's 0.9 pounds point yeah 0.87 pound yeah oh my so yeah point goodness dude that is like i know that's like carrying an extra pair of gloves <laughs> oh boy you should have seen it when we went to the the great american outdoor show in harrisburg pennsylvania i had yeah. four of them and i had them in like my, my my clamps and so they sit really nice and blush and uh people would come up and pick them up and i man i wish i had a video like of everybody's reaction. I mean, I could have had like a 500 person overlay of people just being like, Whoa, (laughs) this is so cool. Yeah, man. That's, but you feel them. And like, you know, like, okay, you sitting here talking about it. You're like, Oh, they're light, but 
it's one thing to be light, but when you actually put these things in your hand, they feel like they're so well made. Like the quality mm-hmm. on them is just. Like I have no. Now, obviously, I'm the. I'm biased. I'm the one who designed it, made them, blah blah blah. But there was a lot of people that had very very positive feedback. It's like, holy cow, this is like. Not only is this feel light, but I also you can just feel how sturdy and structured it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I'm definitely I, man, checking you got, some out. You got to put your hand on them. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check some out, and and uh, there's a good chance I'm gonna be doing a pre-order. They they just seem like they just seem like they would absolutely revolutionize how you hunt. Um, you know, and it makes me a little concerned about the deer population. You know, people are going to be filling all their tags now because they can get to where they actually need to be hunting instead of uh, just going with the the best fit pre-hung. That's uh that's a game changer because hang and hunting, hang and hunt, like run and gun, hang and hunt style hunting. In my opinion, there is no better, like there is no more effective way to, um, kill mature whitetails uh with a bow like you you just have to be able to adjust as real time as possible and um now i do a lot of pre pre pre-hung stuff a because uh it's cheap and you can buy hang on you know an old clunky hang on stand to get up before the season for dirt cheap off a marketplace or something like that. And you can have a million stands out there on the properties you hunt. I do, I do a lot of that, but even still I'll get to those pre-hungs and be like, this just isn't where I need to be. I, I, you know, it, it may have been last year may have been a good spot, but the woods change each year and you, you know, trails change, scrape locations can train, change a little bit. Um, uh, just the personality of the deer change. Um, and they choose to use the landscape differently than, than historically in a lot of cases. And in that case, you need to be able to adjust to that and, uh, you know, being able to do a hang and hunt, whether you're using a saddle or a, an ultralight hang on, um, it, if it's not light, it's not going to be quiet. You're not going to do it very often because it's such a workout and um uh, it's just it's you you end up missing out on it i think so going this i I really love how this side of the industry has evolved here in the last really like three years like you were saying when you started doing it and yeah and yeah go back three years and lone wolf was lone wolf and um xop were like other than saddles some of the saddles that were coming out then that was pretty much the only option and now you know there's a lot of stuff out there you guys have really been been propelling the the market forward so definitely go check out some cat tracks i know i'm going to be doing so myself and uh, shed tags as well and check out some youtube content with extreme element outdoors as well and when you're there you're going to see a lot of shed hunting content and that is what we're going to talk about tonight so um right away you you talked about getting into shed hunting um when you were finishing up your baseball career but you've also talked about and if people go on the on your instagram page which is just extreme element outdoors at extreme element outdoors 
you, I, I think it's your dad that I see in a few of those pictures when you're shed hunting and it looks like he's really into it as well. Um, did you kind of grow up shed hunting with your dad? You know, a little bit. Um, he definitely has interest in it. He likes to do it a lot. Um, he, but he just doesn't have like the ambition to do it that I do. He also doesn't have the time to do it that I do. Sure. Um, you know, he's my dad. I've got other siblings. I got a little brother, uh, Easton. So he is in high school. Um, my sister just graduated college, but she was, you know, four years ago, she was in high school. Um, so it's just, you know, he's got other commitments and so mm-hmm. it's hard for him to get out. But when he does, he definitely enjoys doing it. Um, and so I would say, yeah, he, he was the one that got me into it off the bat. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's cool that you can enjoy that with your dad. And what would be interesting, too, is to hear your dad's history with shed hunting because I got to imagine that when your dad was like, I don't know, I of course I don't know how old your dad is, but you're 20, <clears throat> you're 28. So I imagine when he was a kid, deer were just really starting to become like, plentiful in iowa again you know like you go back to the the 70s and it was a really big deal to see a deer in iowa you know um go back to like the 50s and it was like making the newspaper if you saw a deer in iowa and and so it'd be interesting just from his his point of view as someone who who's been interested in shed hunting like how hard was it to find sheds back when he was a kid compared to to now where we we know we have a great deer population in in iowa and uh, now we're just hoping we don't run into them when we're driving after dark you know and and yeah. uh, you know just to see how that's how that's evolved in his his time but you know i think another thing and we've hit this on a pick and bones before i don't know if you've noticed it in the last couple years i haven't seen it like at all yet this year which is interesting to me but but the last like the two previous shed seasons, you see all these posts from guys <clears throat> that are like, well, I'm out here. Um, I just happened to find this shed. I'm not shed hunting. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really, if I find a shed, great. I'm just out here scouting and I'm just, I'm just, uh, just trying to scout this area. I plan to hunt it this fall and, you know, I'm not really looking for sheds. I don't, I don't really think that's a good use of my time. I'm just scouting. And it's like this, like, uh, you know, just this playing it down, you know, like, like dumping on shed hunting. And it was was like, it's like almost this, like, if you're into shed hunting, how childish of you. And, uh, you know, like you, you must not be really be a serious whitetail hunter. Um, and (laughs) I just think that they're like, it's just so, it's so petty and dumb. Like, uh, have you noticed that though, too? Like some of that, that like negativity towards it. I actually, I haven't honestly, but, uh, good. That's good. That is funny. I've I've not, I've not heard that, but that is, that is funny. Um, because I think it, it doesn't surprise me. It really Mm -hmm. doesn't, but I, you know, it's funny is because I think everybody, like I have, I think like anybody out there really could take a liking to shed hunting, like not just yeah. hunters. Right. I think that we all in like, I shouldn't say we all, 
I've always liked Easter egg hunts as a kid. I think yes. a lot of us had that same kind of drive. And I think that you take like, for example, if I took uh, my wife's sister or her brother or, um, you know, my little brother's best friend and I'm like, Hey, let's go out and let, you know, somebody who's never doesn't hunt or whatnot. And I just take them out and we go out and find some sheds. I think that all of a sudden they would take a liking to it. It's kind of like me with mushroom hunting. I never used to have a, mm. like an interest in mushroom hunting. And my um, brother-in-law really likes to mushroom hunt. And like, he's taken me out the past like two years. And all of a sudden, like, it's really grown on me. Not because I like, I mean, I like morels. Don't get me wrong. But like, I get more of a kick out of just, oh, finally found some. Let's <laughs> That's go. That's right. That's right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I, I, I find it funny because it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing shed hunting kind of like to, to be impressive as a deer hunter it's like i'm doing shed hunting because i just like yeah i like to define <laughs> every time i find a shed i get excited yeah i just like finding so cool stuff in the woods to downplay it. <laughs> right yeah it, you know it's just i i don't understand where it where it comes from and i i was seeing it often enough which is is why i brought it up and and uh you know you'd see the comments too like some of them are funny like they're just straight up funny like like uh Shed hunter is like a, an old uh, Native American term for bad hunter or something like that, or, or uh, oh, gosh. Uh, what was another one? Uh, of course, you can't eat antlers. Um, uh, what is there's there's another there was a uh, oh what is it? I I can't think of it right now. There's a there's a really really funny one, but um. Anyways, I, it'll come to me later. And so they're, they're kind of funny. And like, sometimes I think people are just cracking jokes, but sometimes you can tell like, there's a, there's like a little hint of, uh, eye roll. Well, here's, here's an interesting one for you. One time I was talking about it while I was interviewing a guest and, uh, we had started the conversation with the webcams on, but we were having like trouble with the internet or whatever. So we like killed the video just to like take up less bandwidth and try and uh hopefully keep the connection a little more stable well he like couldn't get his video turned off or something i tried telling him but he he didn't know and so we're having the conversation i started talking about shed hunting and he did the biggest like eye roll and like shaking his head oh, and, like yeah. silently laughing at me and i'm like really man you think it's that dumb but but uh anyways so like there's that criticism out there that I just don't get it because I'm like you, man. I just like going out in the woods and finding cool stuff. And I've always been that way ever since I was a kid. And this is, to me, it's just like, like when I learned about shed hunting, it was kind of, it's kind of like, uh, this, this thing, like, are you being serious right now? Like they're just laying out there free for the taking and it happens every single year and you can go and like get as many as you can find and just gather them up and bring them home. I was like, this is like the most incredible natural thing I've ever learned about, you know? And, and, uh, to me, if you treat it differently than that, it's just, you're missing out. And plus with all the scouting, which I, I have tried to be more focused with it lately, you know, like pull out Spartan Forge. If I see like a, <clears throat> you know, like a good signpost rub or, or, um, you know, like maybe a trail where you wouldn't think there'd be a trail, like entering a food source, um, or, or a big scrape or something like that, you know, instead of just being like, Oh yeah, look at that big scrape. And then 
you know, thinking I'm going to mentally remember that. Um, I'll mark it now, you know, like I try to do that, but let's be honest. I mean, if you're out there just looking for deer sign this time of year and not looking for sheds, I, like I, I always like to say, what are you going to do? Mark down like 180 rubs. Yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's bucks here and they like, and they do a lot of rubbing. I mean, what, what can you possibly be so preoccupied with that you couldn't spend, spend, uh, time looking for antlers while you're there but it is a ton of fun and it is it is uh interesting some of the some of the things that people say whatever just block it out go out and look for sheds or you know what don't go look for sheds and then emmett and i can find them instead but that's what i'm saying man i'm like as you're saying this i'm like uh if you if ever wants to keep scouting, like keep scout, keep your eyes up please yeah, I'll that's right come in, i'll pick up the shed and then i'll come in the next year and shoot the deer. that's right <laughs> with his cat tracks uh, going up the tree uh yeah. but uh yeah, yeah. There you so go. it's Gosh. it's uh <laughs> it's funny. so much fun to go but i want to you find a lot of sheds so i'm thinking right now in my mind that that picture of the truck bed i think it was you your dad and your brother um you know what i'm talking about on instagram yeah actually because i do it we do it every year um so like yeah, it's just become like a, like a normal thing for us to do that every year. Um, at the end of the year, put them all in the truck bed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we find a lot. Um, the past couple of years, not trying to discredit them, but they just, they're committed with a lot of other things. My brother mm-hmm. is in school, wrestling. He doesn't get as much time to, to do it. Um, and then my dad, it's the same thing. But we'll put them all together. And, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see, like, what it is at the end of the year and then you know, like last year we found like 188. Um, wow. That's crazy, yeah, man. It's crazy. So, so with finding that many sheds, um, there, you're obviously doing something different than what most people do, including myself. Like I, I, I have, I have pretty good years, nothing like that. You know, like my best year ever was, was in the twenties for, for a season. Now, you know, that's with three kids and, and working full time and my wife works opposite shifts. So it's, it's tough for me to get out. Like I, I used to before I was married or before I was had kids, <clears throat> but <clears throat> like I have, you know, like I, I, I find a fair bit. Of, I'd say I find more sheds than the average shed hunter pretty much every year. And, and, uh, I still though am not at that level. Like I'm not to where what you're doing and I have a friend who's who's like like that, you know, he's already I just talked to him uh let's see here early last week and he was already at 30 sheds on the year. It's just like, man, Chris. It's like what are you, <laughs> you know, he's playing chess and uh um you know, he's just, but you're the same way. You guys find you, you're, you're doing something different. Either you're seeing the woods differently. You're, you're prioritizing some, some, uh, you know, type of property better than what the average shed hunter does. I think like maybe you guys don't realize it, but I think like, it's like a extra, it's like an extra sense that you guys have that probably just comes second nature for you. So that's what I'm hoping to tap into a little bit in this episode, try and figure out how guys like Emmett or Chris, how they are looking at the woods, 
and where they're looking to to really find that many sheds. I think it's real it is a it's a skill. I mean it is. And so maybe the best way to start with this is like what when when you're looking at a spot and it's also good you're going to have good perspective and Chris is the same way cuz people are going to be tempted to be like, "Oh, I bet they have their same five spots." that they go back to have been going to for the past 20 years. That's how Emmett and Chris find so many sheds. Um, but that's not the case because Chris has moved all over the state and you've moved all over the state. So I'm sure you guys have had to find a lot more ground to cover each time you move. So like when you're first prioritizing, like, okay, I need to find a place that's going to be a good spot to shed hunt. What kind of features are you looking for either on the map or while you're out driving around? What what's gonna stand out to you is like, ooh, that's a place I would like to shed hunt. Great question, Kent. And actually, to go straight off of that, like, um, you, like you, you were saying, like, like tapping into like what what we're doing differently. The number one thing that I'm doing differently than anybody else, or at least people that would like find maybe ten sheds a year. Mm-hmm. The number one thing I do differently is I've got way more places to shed hunt. Mm. I've created opportunities for myself by knocking on so many doors. Like mm. I've gotten told no, probably I would contest that I've gotten told no by more landowners than I wouldn't say, I mean, maybe there's somebody else out there that's knocked it, but I, I would say about, I've been told no by more landowners than anybody else in the state. Wow. But I've had to do that <laughs> to get that many places Yeah. to shed hunt, you know, Yep. And not every place is created equally, but to go to your question there, you're like, well, what, you know, what do you look for? So how I start off is I'll go through like when I'm live, like I, I moved to a County, I'll go through that County parcel by parcel and looking to see where, what landowners there are and what kind of farms are, are in the area. And then I'm t- take note of every single farm that I would like to shed hunt. And I put that into an address list and then I would just create a route and I go and knock on all those doors. Hmm. Um, but I go from one corner of the county to the next. And what I look for when I'm looking for those parcels of the shed hunt, I normally look for, um, you know, you can only look at so much from an aerial, right? Mm-hmm. But yep, absolutely. I'm looking for timber. I'm looking for timber. And you can typically tell when something's a pasture. Not that pastures are bad. Pastures are good. I find a lot of sheds and pastures actually over the years. But um, I can typically tell where there's like, um, timber with, with crop fields versus pasture versus, you know, a 40 acre parcel of just straight corn. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty obvious, right? Where, where's, where's the timber? Where's the cover? So that's something that I'm immediately going to like to, to try to, that, that I'm going to put a check bar, check that basically to put it on the list. Um, and that, once you look at it enough and you look at enough farms in an aerial and you look at them in person, I don't think this is a skill. I just don't know. Like, if I was brand new to it, I don't know if I'd pick up on it, but you can start to see like where like some farms are like overgrown pastures. Mm-hmm. Those are like the money farms, right? Where you got, I mean, if I could pick like, if I could, if you said what farm is like the best farm ever, and it's like, I'm going to tell you ideally for sheds, if you can't control the food sources that are in the area, we can only go on bedding. The best farms for bedding always seem to be like where it was a pasture and it's been like five to 10 years out of pasture. And you got like a lot of like cedars, uh, honey locusts, 
trees coming up with native grasses and thick cover that these deer can hunker down and then get good thermal cover in. Mm. Um, and if you look at aerials long enough, you can sometimes pick those out. Um, and when those do, I mean, I put, put a star on them, like really make sure to hit this place to, to ask the, the landowner, like, because sometimes I'll go on knocking the door, they're not home. So if I put a star on it, it's like, okay, I need to go back. Do not forget to ask this person until yeah. you get a yes or a no. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's a really good tip. So you're prioritizing, sounds like betting first um, and, well, and the, the right could, kind of betting. Yeah, I mean, if I, I, because you can't, some in most places that I have permission to shed hunt, I can't control the food that's in the area. Right. If there is like a hot food source in the area, let's say for whatever reason that like the, the farmer, uh, let's say I've got a farm that I have permission to shed hunt. And most years it's just a corn bean rotation and there's just a little bit of timber cover. But then all of a sudden one year does like a cover crop of like turnips mm-hmm. and it's a really, really um, hard winter. There's a lot of snow. All of a sudden that's going to be like a top priority farm to hit like in prime time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm going to value food over betting 99% of the time. Oh, but really? All things. Okay. That's, that's a good yeah, tip. Like wherever the food is. Yeah, I love where like where where the hot food source is. I love that. Um, but when you can't control the food source, you know, I'll prioritize bedding. Mm-hmm. And then, what about like uh, south facing slopes? Is that do you pay a lot of attention to that southern exposure? Yeah, yeah. Those south facing slopes are always good. Um, it's like today I was out. Um, north facing slope, south facing slope, there was a dusting of snow. Um, I think it was like Thursday and it still hadn't melted yet, but you know, those north facing slopes are so much harder to look because they've got a little bit of snow mm-hmm. and the south facing slopes are all already melted. So not only are they easier to look because they're not patched with snow, but also that is like a telltale sign. That's where the deer are going to be rather be vetting where they're getting all right. that sun. Um, there's definitely shed still to be found on the, uh, north facing slopes but yeah south facing slopes are definitely a spot to look i would like if somebody's like where are you going to look south facing or north facing i'm always going to sit south facing sure um what about uh um here's another thing that i oftentimes factor in when i'm looking for a new place is how close is the the habitat to like people um whether it be a house and and i've even gone as far as like can I find a spot where I can't see a house because of the terrain, you know, and just like the housing there is spread out enough that if I'm like on this hillside, if I can't see a house or see a road or, or whatever, um, I've found that that seems to be maybe a little bit of a advantage. Would you agree with that? Or does that not really factor into what you're doing? No, I think it's uh it's all subjective. I, I think seclusion, especially if it's like, if there's a house and it's it's a it's a house that's in the countryside and the deer's got an abundance of area to go um i don't want to be like, like you're saying i don't want to i don't think the hot spot's going to be right there where that house is visible because if they have all these other timber that they can go to why mm-hmm. would they want to be where all the ruckus is where the dogs right. barking all the time and it whatnot um but i also like i every year i'll go shed hunting in the city and like 
it's crazy the number of sheds that I have found like 20, 20 yards from somebody's backyard. Hmm. But that's in the city. Those are city deer, completely different. But right, like it's because deer are, um, they'll adapt by nature. But um, yeah, I think when you're in the country and you have a house, you know, seclusion is going to be their preferred route 99% of the time. But like we live in the country right now. Um, and like when it was like really cold out, I couldn't even get like, I was trying to get some corn out to a feeder that we have out in the back. That's like secluded, but I couldn't get it because like the, the amount of snow that was here, but I couldn't even get like any equipment out there. And I just dumped some corn out in the backyard and we had like a whole pig pen of tracks. <laughs> now all the deer waited till like we were sleeping at night and all the lights were off. Right. Yeah. All those deer were like, because that was the only food that would, they could access in the area. Cause I cleared the snow off, but you know, when they're desperate enough, I don't think seclusion matters as much, but most years, yeah, seclusion's better. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Long winded answer. No, 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 no. That's great. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Cause we're, we're narrowing in on, on like good tactics here. Okay. So here's another one. Every now and then, and you're going to get excited when I say this, you stumble into a honey hole and it's, you just like, can't believe what you're doing. You know, um, my brother-in-law who I'm going to do some shed hunting with soon. He found his first ever shed when my friend Caleb and I stumbled into a honey hole. And it was after what we had already thought like earlier that in the day when we were shed hunting, we thought we already hit like a honey hole because we found like, I don't know, like five sheds between the three of us and uh, which should really just be the two of us. Cause my brother-in-law didn't end up finding one yet. And, uh, we're like, man, that spot was good, you know? Like it was like one of those deals, like 45 minutes of search and we come back with, with five sheds, you know, pretty good. And and we're like, let's go check this other spot. And I'm not kidding you, man. The second I got out of my truck and started walking, it's like, boom, there's one. And then then I was like, oh, here's another one. And, and at that point, my brother-in-law was sick of it. He was like, tired of watching us pick up all the shed so he just like he just he doesn't even stop to see what we find he just books on ahead of us and then he's like i got one you know he finally got his first shed well then we just keep going and i think i think we ended up finding like and we didn't even cover the whole spot um we ended up finding like seven sheds that day in this in this like 20 minute search you know, it was, it was just wow. true, true honey hole, right? And then we went back there, and we ended up finding. I don't. Know, I want to say between between the three of us, we probably turned up at thirty sheds that year in this like maybe a space of like thirty acres. I mean, it's just insane. Wow. It was just it was it was a primo honey hole. It hasn't it hasn't been that since then. We found a few sheds in there, but it was it was bonkers, man. It was it was absolute. Wow. And there's unfortunately there's been some changes to that that field. Um, some waterways were eliminated, and um, I think I think that's what <clears throat> really was drawing those deer in there because I, I think that a lot of sheds are found where deer are like chewing their cud in the evening or at night overnight, yeah. you know, they're just bedded down next to a food source <laughs> for a few hours. But, but, uh, eliminating those, I think changed it. But anyways, 
you've probably found a lot more honey holes than I have. And, and most of my other honey holes have been like, you know, we might find three in there, you know, or might find, might find four, maybe nothing like what that one spot was. How do you like, what do, when you come across those honey holes, what are some common traits that they have that just is like, Uh, man, this place is loaded with sheds. For sure. Like the number one thing is if I find like a spot where I'm finding a lot of sheds, if there's 99% of the time, there is a really good food source somewhere close by. Hmm. There's like, like maybe that year where you guys were having hot, like, like, and you're finding a lot of them in waterways. Like maybe it was that like the, the, I don't know, let's say it was a, was a bean field that year. No, it was corn, but the guy who cornfield, it was a cut cornfield, but the guy who farmed it, I think used old equipment. And so I think that's what made it. Yep. yep. So I think that's what made I'd, it stand out. Cause there's one year that like, so there's a tenant on my dad's farm. There's a tenant that, uh, who used to rent it, uh, the, the crop field that's around it. And on one of the cut corn years, we found like nine sheds in the cut corn. It was like awesome. Right. But these deer were clearly feeding out in that cut corn. Mm-hmm. there's a new tenant now that has newer equipment and like out of the last two times he's done cut like he's cut the corn i haven't found a shed in that corn yet mm-hmm. nothing's changed outside of like other than that those farmers equipment harvest like the harvesting time within within a couple of weeks the only thing that's different is just the efficiency of their equipment so that's just crazy to me but like I'm guessing that that's probably something similar to what you're seeing because most of the time if I'm hitting the honey hole, if I'm finding the honey hole, there's got it's like there's always got to be a, like a, a good food source close by. Mm-hmm. The only time, the only exception I I've, I've seen to that was like in 2021, we had such a hard winter where we had like ice, snow, and like deer couldn't access their food, like they couldn't even like break through the ground to to access like beans, corn, turnips, whatever. Where I was seems seemed like I was finding a lot of them. I'd find a lot of the sheds, like they were all piled up in areas. So, like it was weird. It was a weird year where like I would find sheds off of multiple deer within a certain vicinity in very thick areas, like where basically they were just like hunkered down because it was just so hard that winter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I you know that that makes me wonder too. I, had we gotten our really nasty winter, that that horrible cold snap with all that snow, like a month later, like right now, man, I think it would be a it would be a cleaning up shed year. You know what I mean? Like it would be it would be a bonkers year. Like all those sheds, but it was just like too early for them to be dropping yet. And and it makes me wonder if with as warm as the spring has well, it's still winter really, but as warm as it's been, I kind of wonder if there's going to be a lot of sheds. Like there's not going to be as many of those honey holes. There's going to be a lot of sheds out in like timber draws as deer are going back to really what we would classify as their summer, early fall ranges. And, um, you know, which gives me hope for my home farm, you know, cause that's what it is. I yeah. might find, might find my second shed, <laughs> but, um, yeah. uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's fun to talk about and, and think about what, you know, where is a, the next, 
the next honey hole going to be, but I, but the food makes sense. Like it's got to be the biggest limiting factor. And I've heard people talk about how valuable standing corn can be. Well, then I just interviewed Jessica Graham. She's the editor of the Iowa Sportsman's Magazine. She does a lot of food plotting, her and her husband do on their farm. And she talked about how she, when she knocks the standing corn, they leave corn standing, but then they mow it down. And, or at least knock it down, I guess. Um, they they find that the deer really pile into the half of the field that gets knocked down instead of left standing. Now, if it was snowy out, I imagine it would probably be the standing corn would be more popular. But what about beans? Do you, like, generally I write off bean fields. Um, if I see good habitat near a bean field, I'll be like, eh, it's probably not worth looking because beans to me just, like, it doesn't seem like there is available or they get mushy or whatever, but do you, do you prioritize bean fields? Yeah, I don't, um, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely will hit bean fields around bean or bean fields and around, around them. Um, it just seems like some, I mean, yeah, I definitely hit them. I don't really, I don't really, uh, have, value bean fields over corn fields um if i could have beans or corn standing or knocked down for that matter either of them you know to have that food there would be great but most places i can uh shed hunt i can't do that Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't i definitely don't write them off um i think that they're good i just think sometimes it's it's hard to tell because sometimes like the field just looks so bare you're just like Mm -hmm. there can't be anything out there but for some reason then when everything's like all the snow's melted those deer will be out there feeding on they'll find something that's true that's true there's a bean field um not far from me i drive past it in the evenings coming home from work and i saw i bet 50 deer out there um you know three or four weeks ago it's like really out there in that that harvested bean field and there's corn right there. And now some of them were like eventually moseying over to the corn field across the road. But by far the bulk of the deer herd was in that that bean field. And so I I've already knocked on that door. They weren't home, but I'm planning to go back. <laughs> Star. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, it's important to try and keep, you know, to, to test out some of those new areas, because I think that's probably like a a big step. I think people take as a shed hunter, like if you're going to be serious about shed hunting is you apply the, and I'm not going to take credit for this. Mark Kenyon was the first one I heard talk about this, the 80, 20 principle of, of, uh, business. He like applies it to shed hunting where he says 80% of the sheds are going to be found on 20% of the, the ground. I would say that it's probably more like the 95, five principle, (laughs) 95% of the sheds are going to be found on 5% of the ground. Um, and so when you start shed hunting that way, cause when I first started, I just, I grid searched every square inch of any piece of ground that I had access to, you know, and 
obviously I was walking over ground that was just never going to have a shed on it. And as I learned, okay, I need to be prioritizing things. You like, you, you develop a mental checklist of a lot of the things that we've already talked about in this episode. But sometimes I think that in creating our checklist, we can end up with blind spots, you know, like, Oh, I never look at bean ground. I always just write that off. Well, maybe, maybe I should go check it out and, and at least find a way to, you know, go to like the productive edges or maybe just check the waterways or, or whatever, or even just get up to a high point in glass, you know, because they do stand out. That is one nice thing about bean fields. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good thought. Um, what about uh, now that you have, have you managed any ground for sheds yet? Have you like, have you put in a specific food plot or a type of cover or anything like that to try and like either on your dad's ground or, I mean, I know you just bought your piece, so you probably haven't had a lot of time to do much yet, but, but um, is that something you're looking into? Do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I do a lot of it more for just deer management in general to like help keep the herd there year round. Like, so for example, when I'm like managing my dad's farm, I got it. I'll always have like rotations of plots so that I'm having a year round food source, but definitely want to make sure that I've got something for the late season. Um, so turnips and, you know, turnips are Nebraska and they're relatively rough on ground. It's hard to plant them more than two years in a row. Um, mm. So I'm always like, I've got a rotation where basically I'm applying those turnips on various plots on a rotation so that I'm not um, overdoing it. Um, but always making sure that I have a late season food source. And then what I've also been doing in, you know, the past year specifically is doing a lot of TSI. Um, he's got some spots on, on his farm where we there's like some cedars that mm-hmm. have grown up. I mean, they're probably like 20, 30 years old. And what happens is they've gotten so tall that they blocked out all the cover underneath. And so the, you know, all those benefits that you have with cedars when they're sporadic and they're in the right formation, um, it no longer is there because basically the wind can blow right underneath these cedars. They're so mature and mm. all it does is block the sun. So you're not getting any browse on the ground and you're not getting any thermal cover. Mm. So I've gone in and I cleared a lot of them out. I'm strategically dropped some of them in certain ways so that it helps like make thermal blocks on like um, South facing slopes. And then also done some other TSI um, on some of the other South facing slopes where there's some more mature timber to help get some sunlight down in um, to help, you know, get more browse and also thicken up that um, timber floor um, in hopes that, you know, in a couple of years, we'll start to see it be thicker and be able to possibly hold more deer. I'm not saying that it's going to necessarily be like the, the telltale way of, you know, getting more sh- sheds, but every little improvement like that, I, I think, does have an impact that could... Um, hold more deer in in the winter winter months you know yeah definitely no i think i think that's good advice and honestly if there's a time of the year and this is just from a hunting standpoint that i think is the hardest time of year to like have a good spot to hunt i don't think it's necessarily the hardest time to kill a deer like i think if you have a good spot it might even be the easiest time of year to kill a deer um if there is such a thing um is the late season like that's when 
farms can literally have zero deer on them if it doesn't have exactly what what is needed. That's what happens on uh, our family farm. Um, it's great through the summer and in, into October. Um, it, it punches way out of its weight class for the amount of uh, timber that we have. But I think just the way the timber lies and, and some of the other terrain features that we have, like like it does really well for, for a 240. But once, once we lose the corn, um, it really takes down that number of deer off the farm. And then um, once it gets cold, then there, it, there's literally not a single deer um, on the farm. And again, until usually like March is when they kind of start coming back in. And, you know, like having a late muzzy tag or still having your archery tag going into that back end of the season. Like if you don't have a good place to go, uh, you may as well (laughs) just plan on like pheasant hunting because they're just, the deer are not going to be found. So I think doing that, that late season food plotting and, and putting in those thermal zones for habitat um, can really save your bacon if you have, um, you know, if you have to hunt a late season and can really make your farm the, the place to be and then pay off come shed season too. So yeah, great advice. Well, uh, as we wrap this one up here, if you had, um, one, like unique, so, so whenever you hear like all the shed hunting tips out there, a lot of them are just repeated, you know, from one article to the next. Check fence crossings. Check creek crossings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, how many, how many, uh, how many uh, creek crossings have you uh, and and fence crossings have you found sheds by through the years? I'm gonna guess it's probably like me, like 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 one tenth of a percent of your sheds have have come from fence crossings and and creek crossings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny when you actually do have like a like a fence jumper that you're like oh there it applies you know <laughs> that's like, right but it it's actually like, how long did it take for it to yeah that's, it happens but, but it's like it's not yeah. like it's not like when you go read top 10 tips you know <laughs> where they jump the fence okay i'm gonna go walk every fence you know what i mean <laughs> like right. it's definitely a spot for them to drop them you know it's where they're gonna yeah. throw their antlers but come on like it's but it's a hard, it's, it's hard. I, I get it. It's a good tip. It's just, it's not like everything else where like, you know, that tip's going to be like, yeah, it's not gospel. Yeah. It's what, so what is like, what's a unique tip? Maybe it's not even your best tip, but one that you think that you do that is unlikely that most folks have either heard of or have at least tried that, um, leads to you finding more sheds each year. I would say one for like this isn't unique but it's I'll get two one that's more unique and then I'm going to give this one first though because this is really the I mean just getting more places to shed hunt is critical to find more sheds like if you're trying to find more sheds you're going to have to get more places to shed hunt because you're not going to have like there's only like uh, if you even if you own a farm that you have 100 acres and you can do whatever you want on it you can put what you know you could snap your finger and say, I'm going to put the best thermal cover right here. I'm going to put the best food right here. And, and, and it, you build your own farm exactly what you want. There's still only going to be a certain capacity that can, of deer that can mm-hmm. hold on that farm. Yep. And so you're like never going to get above a certain threshold of sheds. 
um, even on your best year. So if you want to find more sheds, you're going to have to get more places to shed on. Um, so that's, that's a tip that I would give, you know, don't be afraid to knock on doors. Don't be afraid of um, getting told no, et cetera. We could do a whole episode on that, just getting permission. Mm-hmm. Um, but a more unique tip that I can give is let's say that like there's a deer in an area that I really want to find the sheds off. I got a 200 inch deer on a farm that I can't control the food source on. Um, I can just hunt it. I can just run. I, this has never happened. I would love to have a two. And I love to have this problem, but this is what <laughs> I would do. If I can't, if all the, everything's picked over the farmer's chisel plowed the, the field, I know that this deer is likely to go winter somewhere else where there's a better food source. And even if this farm that I, I, I can hunt has good cover, I, I just know that he's not going to be there because of the lack of food. I'm going to make an investment to go out there and start dumping corn and, and just try my best to keep that deer close, mm. you know, put corn out there and maybe I won't get that deer to drop his sheds, but if nothing else, there will be other deer that will stay close. And I mean, you'd have to be committed to going out and putting more corn out there, but that is probably one of the quickest things that you could do to actually, benefit yourself um for trying to keep deer close so for example this year on my dad's farm there was already some turnip plots but i was like with how much snow we got i was like we're gonna get corn out there we are gonna get corn out there because we have to these deer are gonna need to access the food um long story short kept filling up this feeder with corn there's already been five sheds that have been found within 20 yards of that feeder, not 20 wow. yards, probably within, <laughs> within 40 yards of that feeder because of how bad that, you know, they didn't, that was the best food source that they could have access to yeah. because everything else was so deep in snow. I mean, it was yeah. so easy for them to just find that corn. And and it, it's funny because like I had a camera on it and like I'd come out, dump the corn. And then like 30 minutes later, the deer would be back out there. And with how hard the winter was, I mean, Every night, the one buck, like, you know, there's there's a couple bucks that I'd, I'd monitor and be like, okay, hopefully this one would drop its sheds. Hopefully this one would. Yeah. And, I mean, every night they would be there. Now, when it warmed back up, they the access to food everywhere else became a lot easier. So it got a little bit slower. But long story short, that's something that, like, not a lot of people are going to go out and say because it yeah. involves, like, you know, you have to pay a little bit to, to do that. But if you're, like, that dedicated, you really want to find the sheds off of a certain deer, that's something that I think you could, you'd find, and I don't want to say you're going to find the sheds if you do that, but you're definitely going to put yourself in a situation that you're a lot more likely. your odds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good, interesting tip. I don't think I've ever had somebody use that tip, but it's, it's true. And especially when you're targeting a specific buck and you're wanting, wanting that buck sheds, um, that's one way to just kind of tip the odds back in your favor a little bit. So, or if I only had one place to shed hunt, right? Like if that's the only place I had to shed hunt and I wasn't like, there wasn't time for me or for whatever reason, I just didn't have time to go ask for more places or if I only had one place to shed hunt. I couldn't control the food. I'm hundred percent going to be out there putting corn because that's going to increase my odds of deer staying close and dropping their antlers. Yep. Spot on. Absolutely. Well, man, this has been such a fun conversation, and uh, I need to get you back on sometime. I just really enjoy talking with you, Emmett. You're a smart guy, and you have a unique way of looking at things, and you're a go-getter, which is inspiring. 
Um, uh, you want to tell people how they can follow along with everything you got going on would be the best way. Yeah, absolutely. Ken. And, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for having me on. This has been a great conversation. I look forward. Yeah. Well, definitely do this again, but yeah, to get a hold of me, um, you can reach out to any of my social media accounts on extreme element outdoors. Um, so I've got an Instagram account, Facebook page or YouTube channel. Um, so it just be at extreme element outdoors. You can also go to my website, extremeelementoutdoors.com and reach out to me via that. There's like a contact page on there. Same thing with cat tracks, but uh, we'll just keep it simple. Extreme element outdoors will be the point of contact here. If you want to go check out my cat track stuff, that's great. You can reach out to me through that, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. A lot of great stuff to, to even just follow along with on Instagram, but obviously like with the shed tags and with, uh, the cat tracks, some great products to purchase and you're supporting another American living the American dream when you do that, which is so important. It's not just some, some faceless thing that you're ordering off of Amazon or something like that where, where it's made in another country or, or whatever, you know, it's like, this is whitetail stuff made by a whitetail guy right here in in whitetail country that's that's pretty cool and i think important to to value that so definitely go check out everything that emmett has going on you'll definitely want to follow his uh shed hunting pictures too those are inspiring as well but they also might give you some green eyes too might be a little envious when you see a shed pile it's pretty impressive but uh (laughs) it's very possible it's i don't do anything that's much different than anybody else actually i i contest one thing i i tell some people that you know they'll find as many sheds as, as i would if they could walk the same ground that i walk hmm. they'd probably find more you know <laughs> it, that opportunity is there you just have to go out and make it it's going to take a while and it's going to take years it, or if you don't have like a job or anything you just you could go knock on doors all day maybe it'll take one year but but yeah it's doable it really is it's going to get harder shed hunting is definitely getting a lot more uh, popular it seems like yep um but I, I, yeah, good yep. point, Kent. Good point. Yep. And, and, uh, you, you know, it is, we, we do joke too a little bit about how we don't want the competition, but I think it's good for, I think it's good for hunting. I think it's good for, uh, conservation because it connects people to the land. Um, it, it makes people, it makes people see something that they can tangibly enjoy off of their acres and, you know what? It's, it's less likely to get sold to the, the you know giant, you know, industrial farm that uh, is going to eradicate all habitat and, <laughs> and yeah. you know exactly. make it worse for deer hunting in the end. So, I think it's I think it's good that we got people coming into shed hunting. But uh, please remember, this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is such a valuable tool during shed hunting season. Um, you probably could use the deer behavior prediction on Spartan Forge uh, to, like, you know, figure out where the deer are hanging out. Are they going to be in their core area? Are they going to be ranging around more? Are they going to be in transitional areas mostly? You could use that, but what is more valuable during shed season, in my opinion, are the uh, different mapping features. Uh, there's all kinds of different layers. LIDAR could be really helpful identifying those heavy uh, deer trails. Um, but also uh, just being able to drop pins as you're scouting and uh, marking sheds when you find sheds. 
and uh, gives you that good historical information to either use in the future <clears throat> or maybe just reflect on and and uh, when you're filling out your shed tags that you bought from Emmett. Uh, but but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, definitely a valuable tool there. Uh, I use it literally every day. And when I do my door knocking, I use it for that too. That landowner information is critical. And uh, especially when you're walking on a new piece, you want to make sure you're not you're not doing any trespassing or something like that on accident. So Spartan Forge, great tool. Use the link in my uh, in the show notes here or in the link tree on my Instagram profile and get over there and get yourself a subscription. You'll be glad you did it. Uh, Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts is another longtime sponsor of this podcast. Alex has been uh, with me almost since the beginning. And <clears throat> he has planned a couple of hunts for me couple successful hunts i'll say and uh, he'll be glad to do the same for you he can do everything from applying for your tags and helping you get those to um, even just planning out your hunt for you where you should hunt how many days you should be there um, where you should put your base camp where you should put your spike camp <coughs> where you should um, uh, find water all that stuff alex will plan it for you top to bottom it is a, a truly a um, first-rate service. So go to eastwesthunts.com, request a free consultation, talk with Alex, make sure that he knows what your exact plans are, and uh, then he'll uh, let you know how he can help you. Tell him that you heard about East West Hunts on this podcast, and you'll save yourself 10%, which is a nice little bit of savings that you can roll into your taxidermy work when you get back home from your uh, big hunting trip. Make sure you get your taxidermy work done in a as good of a way as possible. You're creating a memory that you want to last for the rest of your life. Uh, my wife just had some of her friends over to the house the other day, and uh, and they they mentioned my mounts that were up on the wall, and uh, my wife. One of them asked if if my wife could get away with putting googly eyes on the eyes of my bucks if I would notice. And she's like, Oh, he would notice for sure. Uh, he stares at him every single day. And that is true. I think, I think I look at my mounts at least 20 minutes, not all in one sitting usually, but like throughout the day, you know, first thing in the morning, I come downstairs. Oh, there they are. And, uh, you know, I just kind of look at them a little bit, have my cup of coffee, just admire them. Yeah, I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life. It better be a good-looking mount. And both of them that I'm talking about right now uh, came from, they were done at Old Barn Taxidermy. Done absolutely in a world-class manner. I got the world-class treatment from a world-class taxidermist. You can too. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy. Use the link in these show notes. doesn't matter if you're not in Iowa. I'm sure you can ship them, whatever it is. Just go through the legal process of doing that. <clears throat> they can help help you understand that and uh, you'll get that world-class mount that you can enjoy for 20 minutes every day as well and besides someday when you're dead and your kids are wondering what to do with your old mounts if it looks like garbage well that's where it's going to end up but if it looks really nice you know it might at least end up at the uh like county conservation office or something like that or in the local library or something or in a restaurant you know Make sure you get it done the right way for the long haul. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy. And finally, on any hunting trip, it is important to be prepared. A small injury 
or misstep or, uh, man, I even heard about a guy who, uh, um, was walking through some brush and he accidentally walked into an arrow that was lost by another hunter who knows how long ago. And the broadhead just really sliced up his thigh and, uh, really became a major bleeding issue for him. And, uh, I'm not, he survived thankfully, but I think he had to use a tourniquet. Um, and, uh, good thing he was prepared for that. You should be prepared for such a crazy wild thing in a very remote area where your only option is yourself. You want to have the right equipment to do that. My medic is really the, they make the best stuff for backcountry um, scenarios where you would need first aid care. Uh, I use the MyFac Pro kit. They have kind of broken that down into two separate kits now, the MyFac Large and the MyFac Small. I would recommend getting the large and then taking the few like most critical things, put those in your pack, and then keep the rest of the kit like in your truck or at your base camp or something like that if you want to be smart on your weight. Um that you're you're packing in and uh you know they can they can help you with that you can resupply anything you use you can get advice on uh i'm sure if you gave them a call and be like hey this is what i'm doing they'd be glad to, to coach you up on that they have training videos all sorts of stuff and get the absolute best med kits out there go to my medic uh, use the link in the show notes and when you go to check out type in the promo code first gen 15 all one word the number 15 at the end and you'll save yourself 15 percent off of your purchase which is a really generous offer from them for first gen hunter podcast listeners <coughs> well finally if you haven't yet left us a five-star review and you feel like we're worth it please do so that is an ex- extremely helpful thing for the show and a written review is great too. Really appreciate that. And just reach out to me. Connect on Instagram or Facebook or uh, Go Wild or even through firstgenhunter.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about your hunting story. And, and um, you know, just uh, check check in with you a little bit. That would be, be really cool. It's the best part of the show. So please uh, do that if you haven't yet. And uh, until next time, take care and take someone hunting.